Our reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 18. Love in action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, uh, tonight from the scriptures, I'm going to teach you how to kiss. Uh, and in order to know how to kiss, uh, if you've got youngsters amongst you, I want you to uh, go out and about in the house. I want you to go and find a pen. You'll need uh, two bits of paper and a plastic bag. Now, while your youngsters are going out to do that, I'm just going to explain to you uh, that to kiss means to keep it simple stupid. To keep it simple, uh, we're looking at the third of our practices, how we may grow in Christ. We've already seen two ways how to keep it simple. Uh, week one, we learn about establishing simple priorities, how to get the, the big things right in our life. And one of those big things, well, I came across this quote uh, this last week. At the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals and the first job of each morning consists in shoving them all back in listening to that other voice letting that other larger stronger quieter life come flowing in that's c.s lewis way of saying get alone with your heavenly father solitude be with your father and commit it all to him finding his grace and strength to help you throughout the day. That was the first uh, one we looked at. Uh, and then last week we saw another way of keeping it simple, another KISS principle, and that was to establish simple rhythms. God had given us this six and one. All is his, but six where we're out there serving him all the time, whatever we're doing, we're living for our Lord. And then that one when we can come together, we can spend unhurried time getting to know God better, getting to know one another better, and finding rejuvenation, that proper sense of rest. That's what we looked at last week. But tonight we're going to look at four other KISS principles, simple ways of dealing with that hurry, hurry stress in our lives. And the first one I want to think about is this, understand simple choices. Understand simple choices. This is where you're going to need your pen, 
and your paper. Uh, draw a straight line on it. I know it's not very straight, but I've never been very good at art. And at one end, put an R, and another end, put a W. Right and wrong. We need to be clear, what are the right and wrong choices in our lives? How would we know? Well, that's where the Bible tells us God is a God of absolute goodness. If we take him as our Lord, we should listen to his advice about what is right and what is wrong. Our world is incredibly muddled about right and wrong. And we need to be clear. And we need to help. That helps us to keep our decisions simple. It's right or it's wrong. That's some of the decisions. And to make right choices, we often will need courage as well as clarity to do what is right in a world where people want you to do what is wrong. But that's not the only line I want you to draw on your bit of paper. I want you to draw another line. Here we are, our four lines. And I want you to write at the top a big W and at the bottom a big U. Wise and unwise. Now, some of the decisions we have to make are right and they could be wise, they could be unwise. We want to make right and wise decisions. And we can ask our Heavenly Father for wisdom. James the writer tells us if any of us lacks wisdom, if any of us, we can ask God who gives freely. Now, wisdom isn't being clever. It's not getting the exam 100% right. Wisdom is that, first of all, pure and peaceable, that lovely good fruit of righteousness. Wisdom is found in seeking advice. As a leadership team, recently we looked at the uh, four times in the book of Proverbs, it says, plans fail for lack of counsel, lack of advice, but with many advisors, they succeed. If we want to be wise people, we need to be good listeners to others' point of view. That will help us. Now, it's not simple, wise and unwise, not as clear as right and wrong, but we can grow in wisdom. But there's another line too. And I want you to draw another line in that uh, top segment. And on one side of it, put an L. And the other side of it, put a D. Like and dislike. Some of the decisions, some of our choices are about, is it right? We should always do what is right, not do what is wrong. Is it wise or unwise? Well, that sometimes will be different between different Christians, depending on our circumstances. But also we'll often find what we call the preference choice. Do I like it or dislike it? Now, here's the thing. Many, many Christians get more stressed out about not getting what they like or something that others want that they dislike than almost anything else. If you don't understand the difference between right and wrong, wise and unwise, and like and dislike, you can get yourself ever so worked about something you don't like. It might be right and it might be wise, but you don't happen to like it. So many things that cause stress in our lives is when we get worked up, when we don't get what we like, or we have to live with what we don't like. Actually, Christian maturity is about learning to let others have their likes 
even if I sometimes don't like it. And of course, if they're mature too, it'll work both ways. You can save yourself a tremendous amount of stress and busyness and hassle and upset in your life by saying to yourself, do you know what? I'm getting worked out about a preference, a like. This isn't right versus wrong, or it's not even wise versus unwise. It's just something I really, really like, or I really, really dislike. And maturity in a church in our own lives will be seen by saying, you know what? This is right, wise, but I dislike it. But hey, that's fine. Let's go with it. That will be a challenge for us all. But if we understand those simple choices, we'll find ourselves far less busy, far less stressed. But the second thing I want to talk about is how to keep simple relationships. And here we can turn to our passage in Romans uh, chapter 12. It's all about love in action. It's about living in harmony with one another, just as he said. That's the, the theme. How do we live in harmony? Now, three little things I want to pick out. First, if you want to keep simple relationships, have no broken ones. No broken ones. Try and fix the ones that are fractured. Lord Jesus tells us, doesn't he, if we're offering our worship to God, but we remember that there's a brother with something against us or we have something against them, go and, go and seek to win them over, just the two of you. It's that principle of saying, you know, don't hold grudges. Go and say, look, uh, uh, this, this is upsetting me. Can you help me? Have I misunderstood this? Help me understand what, what's gone on here. It may be that that clarifies it. It may be that somebody says, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And we go, of course I forgive you. I won't ever bring it up again. It's behind us forever. That's how we keep mending broken relationships. Now, I know it sometimes gets more complex than that, but sometimes we don't do the simple thing first as Jesus commanded. If we take to our hearts no broken relationships. Second, here, it's harmony with all, friendship with all. If it is possible, as far as it is with you, Live at peace with everyone, not just people in the church. Our lives should be known as like, they're friendly, friendly with everybody. It means we blank nobody, we, we ignore nobody, we don't cold shoulder anybody, we don't avoid people. That sense of everybody knows I'm open, that I, I, there are no barriers between us. That's why the Lord's Supper is such an important meal, isn't it? We, when we eat the Lord's Supper, it isn't just that we're saying we trust in Jesus. We're saying we accept one another. Food is the great sign that we're, we accept one another. So important. But the third thing is this. You can go deep with some. Of course you can. And the Apostle Paul, having written about harmony with everybody in the final chapter of the book, tells about some of the people he's gone deep with. We, we can't go deep with everybody. Of course, we haven't got the time. But what we can do is be friendly to all, broken with none, and deep with some. They're the ways of keeping some simple relationships. Now, the complexity is it changes over time. The people we go deep with, of course it will change over time. If we're single, we might meet a spouse. And that's a deepening relationship. 
It means other relationships might change. Children, grandchildren, new job, new colleagues, new neighbourhood, and new people in the church. It changes. But those three simple principles, none broken, friendly to all, and deep with some, which we, we work at, that can help us without living lives being overstretched. The third KISS principle, how to keep it simple, is to enjoy pleasures simply. Now here, it's important to notice that I, I didn't say enjoy simple pleasures. Of course we should. Uh, the sunrise or the sunset, the singing of the birds, uh, the, the, the feeling of water when you're swimming, simple pleasures available to anyone. But I want to say this, we can enjoy pleasures simply. Some of those pleasures might be complex pleasures. If you listen to uh, a piece of music, whoever's playing it, it could be a 50-piece orchestra, it could be a one-man band, but it's complex. Music is complex. That person has maybe studied for decades to play at that level of skill. They may have practiced daily. There may be a sound technician at work somewhere uh, who's, who's been in an expensive mixing studio. There's, there's a, a manufacturer who's made the CD. It's a complex pleasure, but it can be enjoyed simply. And how do we enjoy something simply? Well, again, let's look at some of the things the Bible says. Let's turn to Paul's letter to Timothy. And in uh, uh, 1 Timothy, he tells us uh, that we can uh, give God thanks. This is what he says. He says, everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. God is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And then on into chapter six, he says this. Uh, Put our hope in God verse 17, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God who gives us everything richly to enjoy, complex pleasures and simple pleasures. How can we enjoy them simply? Well, I want to suggest three things to you. First, give God thanks. Whatever the pleasure is, simple or complex, the the moment will be savoured if you stop and say, Thank you, Father. Thank you for this wonderful taste in my mouth right now. Thank you for that fantastic programme I've just seen. Thank you for that beautiful music. Thank you for the warm sunshine. Thank you for that kind reassurance from a friend. There are so many pleasures that God gives into our lives and we don't say thank you, so they're gone. The way you savour them, the way that you enjoy them is As you enjoy them, give thanks to the giver of those gifts. Second, learn to rejoice in other people's gifts. Did you pick that up in the reading? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Our hearts go out to those who are grieving. But we are sometimes weird creatures. When somebody else has a blessing, a joy... A pleasure that we've not got, we can so easily be a little bit miffed. 
we find it harder to rejoice with those who rejoice and sometimes we do to mourn with those who mourn. But one of the key secrets of keeping life simple is simply to rejoice in others' blessing. You know, we are weird, aren't we? We tend in our comparisons to compare up. I came across an example of this uh, in this book, uh, Jonathan Rauch, The Happiness Curve. I'll, I'll come back to that in a, lo in a little moment. But uh, in it, he, he tells of a time when, uh, for some reason or other, the Norwegian authorities uh, thought it would be good uh, to put all tax returns online. And anybody could look at anyone else's tax returns. Uh, they made this decision, I think, in 2000 and one and uh, what began to happen is that Norwegians started searching the web for other people's tax returns and uh, a Microsoft researcher named Ricardo Perez Trigulia he looked at their happiness before and after the change in uh, tax assessing and he used some ways of uh, working out. Now, the results, I'm afraid, are quite unflattering human nature. First, he found that huge numbers of people went online to find out what their friends and acquaintances were earning. So energetically did people snoop that they performed as fifth as many searches as on YouTube searches. And then this is what he found. Once people learned their place in the neighborhood pecking order, of who earned what. Happiness inequality soared after years of stability. The happiness gap between rich and poor increased by 29%. The life satisfaction gap increased by 21%. When people found out what others were earning, they didn't say, oh, I am so grateful. They said, huh, what are they doing earning that much? Actually got so bad that <laughs> the government had to change uh, the way they did it. And in 2014, the authorities stopped allowing Norwegians to search tax records anonymously. As soon as people realised their curiosity might be noticed by friends and neighbours, they reduced their tax snooping by almost 90% and redirected their energies to finding out who was snooping on them. Isn't that human nature all over? In the comparison games, we compare up and get frustrated. It takes grace, but what a grace, what a lovely thing to enjoy somebody else's joys. Now, that doesn't mean watching a thousand slides of somebody else's holiday, pretending to be interested. But it isn't the same also as your eyes, my eyes glazing a mego, my eyes glazing over at the first sign of someone telling you something that they've been blessed by. Show interest, be an active listener. It may be a meal they've had. It may be a friend they've made. It may be a new house they've moved to. It may be a job that they've got uh, a, a promotion in. Show an interest and you will find your joy is intensified because of their joy. You rejoice with them. It's a way of keeping pleasures simply enjoyed. And the third one is this. We need to learn to contentment. 
The Apostle Paul in the letter to the Philippians talks, doesn't he, about I've learned the secret of contentment. Whether I abound or whether things are tough, I've learned that Christ can strengthen me and I can trust him. Elsewhere, he talks about with food and shelter, food and clothing will be content. We learn to need to be content. It's, it's a lovely thing. Let's come back to that uh, happiness curve. Your other bit of paper, youngsters, if you're still with me, get your other bit of paper out. And on it, I want you to draw a curve, a curve, a curve. Now, this is a really important thing about contentment. We tend to assume that when we're young, life is going to get better. And then when we get getting old, oh dear, physically we're run down. We can't do what we used to do. We've got a long, slow decline. Uh, what Jonathan Rauch argues in his book is actually, if we learn contentment, the happiness curve is like that. Uh, we can have a lot of fun when we're young, but actually uh, midlife is tough. Many demands, a sense of our own ageing, a sense that other people are coming behind us who are perhaps a bit smarter than we are. They may get promotion, they may earn more. We begin to compare ourselves with others and we begin to lose out in the comparison. We've got ageing parents, growing kids, ageing bodies. We often, and then we look forward and think, oh no, it's only going to go down. What he says is, actually, if we look at cultures all around the world, as people age, as they grow in wisdom, many, many learn the secret of contentment. They begin to learn about enjoying pleasure simply once again. A lot of statistics-based evidence in his book that enjoying pleasure simply is something that goes on way, way, way into old age. That's something we may have to rethink, that it's not a long, slow decline, but it is an ability to thank God to the end of my days for all his gifts to me, keeping it simple. Now, one other thing. Here's a quote I came across which I thought was very helpful. One thing that might stop you from enjoying things simply is stuff. Uh, this is a lady called Erica Lane who wrote this. How can you see all the beauty in your life when you're busy taking care of all the things you own? Now, some of you may have come across a book by Marie Kondo. She's a bit of a kind of guru, Kondo. The life-changing magic of tidying up. Now, that sounds quite easy, but actually she's a bit of a kind of purist. What she says is, if it doesn't spark joy, bin it. Well, it's a bit of a kind of uh, all or nothing approach to stuff you own. What Erica Lane argues much more wisely, I think, is look, we can all declutter a bit. Clutter is keeping many of us from living lives well. Clutter is keeping many of us from living pleasures simply. Now here, if you've got one of these, after this service, children, if you're listening, youngsters, if you're listening, why don't you go around the house with mum and dad and in 10 minutes, fill it with things that you could easily do without. It might be batteries that are sitting on a shelf somewhere. 
why don't you start in dad's man drawer uh it could be uh just waste that you think do you know what? we've not used that gizmo for decades all kinds of things could go in this bag and she says look don't don't go mad don't go don't do the whole condo thing but you could declutter a bit you could spend 10 minutes in one corner and if you did that once a week after a while you would declutter what she says is don't start on the sentimental things start with the things that you think do you know what we don't use that that could go to a better home we can declutter a little bit and keep our lives simple now the final thing I want to talk about, the final KISS principle, having um, understood simple choices, keeping simple relationships, enjoying pleasure simply, I want to talk about aiming at simple ambitions. And for this I'd like you to turn, if you have your Bible with you, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is what he writes. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Make it your goal to please God. That, that theme comes out uh, very many times. Uh, our goal is to please God, to bring joy, to reflect something of the goodness of God, both, as it were, to him and into the lives of others. Please God. That's our first ambition. Our second ambition, and he goes on to say it uh, in verse uh, 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work through your hands just as we told you to, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and you not be dependent on anybody. He's speaking to a particular context, but that idea of living a quiet life doesn't mean a lazy life. It doesn't mean a nobody life. It means a life where you're not going around causing trouble, but you're being a blessing to others. In the letter to Timothy, chapter 2, he tells us to pray for kings and all those in authority that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. That is, we're not being persecuted, we're not being hounded, we're not being fined, but we can go on to be a blessing to others. Make it your ambition to be a blessing to others. It's the great theme of Titus that Christians are told to live such good lives that we touch the lives of those far from the Lord. We want to do good. We want to be people who being, be a blessing, not a curse. Make it your ambition to be a blessing. Now, you may be a blessing. You may, be, you may be have ambition. You, you may end up being a prime minister and you could be a blessing to others. You, you may be a road sweeper and could be a huge blessing to others. Wherever God has placed you, be determined to be a blessing to others. Bring good into their lives. And your third ambition, please one, be a blessing to all and win as many as God blesses you with. Win as many as possible, Paul said. Here, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9, where he tells us his ambitions his goals. They're simple ambitions, really. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, verse 19, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Then he goes on to say time again, to the weak I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He goes on into chapter 
a 10 at the end there. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is the please one. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, be a blessing to everyone. And then he goes on to say this. So I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Can you see that? Please one, be a blessing to all. And insofar as you have opportunity before God, win, make it your ambition to win people to Christ. Now, the lovely thing is, Paul didn't just write that to us as individuals. He wrote to us as a, as a family of Christians, a team of Christians. We're all on this together. We need to support one another in pleasing God, stirring one another, encouraging one another, spurring one another on to live for God, to be a blessing to whoever we come into contact with and to want to win as many as possible. That is simple living as it were it's, it's how we can keep our lives stress free so from this hurry sickness that we talked about we've looked at six principles so far solitude sabbath today simplicity and some suggestions and hints and tips of how you might keep your life simple but let me close with a story it's, it's not a true story it's a make-believe story but it's a story in a film the man actually lived in Bedford. Well, Bedford Falls in the United States. His name was George Bailey. It was Christmas Eve, 1945. The film, the story, has George on a bridge over a river. George feels his life has been simple and wasted. He, he, he contemplates ending it. He cries to God and others have been crying to God because George is so overwhelmed with his uselessness. George is played by that great actor, James Stewart. And the film is called A Wonderful Life. It's been called one of the greatest films of all time. In fact, it won the number one spot for the most inspiration, inspirational American film of all time. What happens to George as he contemplates? Well, those prayers are heard and a guardian angel is sent down and his task is to dissuade George from ending it. And uh, as the conversation goes on and, and George contemplates, my simple life has been wasted, it's been useless, I've done nothing, it's not worth it. They relive parts of his life. He remembers the time when his brother had uh, fantastically become a, a pilot and saved many people's lives. And compared to his brother, George felt useless until the guardian angel pointed out, your brother would not have lived unless you'd saved him from drowning when he was boy. And, and then his uncle who'd let them down so badly, his absent-minded, what we would say, struggling with dementia uncle, who, who'd caused so much heartache and lost them a lot of money and George, uh, but the angel points out that unless George had been kind to his uncle, his uncle would have been committed to a home where he would have died very young, a mental institution. He would have been sectioned and he would have lost a, a life that he would have otherwise had. Uh, the town which he feels he's not even touched at all. Uh, he feels he just failed at everything. The angel says to him, look, 
You've touched so many lives. You've prevented so much evil. You've promoted so much good. This place is a place worth living, George Bailey, because you have lived. Your one life, which you looked at as simple and failure, has actually been a blessing to enormous numbers of people. Well, the film ends with George not taking his own life. George being grateful that his one simple life had been actually a blessing to so many, but he just couldn't see it. Well, we Christians, we don't live in a make-believe story like that. It's a real story. And one day God will show you, as you've sought to live, a simple life of faithfulness, honouring him, blessing others and winning others to Christ, serving him wherever he's placed you, however he's placed you. That simple life, when God opens your eyes and God opens all our eyes, there will be joy in heaven of what God has done with our simple lives. Well, may God have blessed his word to your life this evening.